Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Whether you're a young genius, a forever dreamer, or a wise sage, you'll meet many different types of developers. The way they express their knowledge and skills can be boiled down to several personality archetypes. In this third episode on types of developers you'll meet, we're talking about different ways developers express their knowledge or lack thereof. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Uh, Dates and times. More specifically, anytime you've got a payment processor, things get interesting. Right. Because if you're recording a date of, you know, when a transaction happened, there's the user's time, which is what they're going to refer to when they're like, hey, I did it at this this point in time. There is the server time, which is what you're probably going to refer to for logging. There is the payment processor time, which is what is the transaction record time and potentially your servers in a different time zone. <laughs> than your office is. So when your support people are looking at stuff and trying to correlate, gets hairy. And so I'm dealing with some of that kind of stuff at work. Uh, we had a pretty good slug and match with it uh, last year. And because I survived that without a sufficient level of complaining, I've been gifted with this ticket this year. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, it's just way too much stuff to think about and I don't even know where this time came from. Like you get a timestamp and you're like, what is this from? Like, I don't even know if I'm correct, you know, without a whole lot of work. And so it's, uh, it's been a lot. I guess it's probably about it. Oh, and I'm having to do some of that crap in JavaScript too, which is not helpful either. Cause I'm having to use moment. Uh, I remember dates, yeah. times in JavaScript. And I'm, I've been dealing with that. And then I've been uh, working on a Gatsby blog and I wrote some helper scripts. And so I've also been dealing I've been dealing with dates and times in there too. And I'm like, <laughs> I can't even get away. <laughs> you know, I was like, this is my goof around, you know, not super serious yet project. And yeah, I still can't get away from it. Yeah. So how about you? Oh man, I, I think I'm a bit overworked at the moment. I'm feeling stretched thin. And honestly, I'm struggling not to snap at coworkers. Though when you tell me something isn't working and I ask, hey, what'd you pass into the endpoint? Don't copy the entire controller code into Slack. Like that literally happened to me yesterday. And I'm like, no, no, no. I didn't ask what, like I can look at the code. I've got it sitting in front of me. I, I'm saying, what did you pass into that endpoint? <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, why is it getting a, uh, you know, 404 on this route? Here's what I, you know, and I'm not going to tell you what I passed in for the route parameters or anything. Yeah. I'm like, well, can we just get on a, a WebEx call? And I'm like, no, just answer the question. Like, that's a waste of time. I just need to know what did you pass in so I can start like looking up why it's not working and I can replicate the issue. Finally, I got the the stuff I needed, but it was just it was a back and forth about that. And I'm like, I don't want to spend three hours for you to answer one question because that's what's going to happen. So. I don't know. It's just, it's been like that for, for a while. And, you know, I'm on, I'm on one project that, and we're 
planning another project, which that's all right. I don't I don't mind that. But then there's one maintenance thing that we put on another developer, but because I wrote the code a couple of years ago, he's calling me to ask for ask questions and stuff. And I don't mind answering his questions because he can be pretty like, you know, when I tell him, hey, I don't have a lot of time to talk, he'll just get straight to it. If I don't tell him that, though, it's going to be a 45 minute conversation because he's a musician and we talk a lot to each other. So, but that's cool. It's fun when I want to have that conversation. Also, I don't have an oven right now. I pulled it out uh, over the weekend to deal with the mouse problem and just haven't reinstalled it because I'm waiting to see if I get any more mice from that area. So I'll know if there's like another hole that I haven't filled in. I mean, this is really this mouse problem is very frustrating. In happier news, uh, Amanda and I took the bike out this past weekend. It's always a lot of fun. Uh, we hung out with some of her friends. I think you met them at my birthday party, Kimmy and Chris. That was a lot of fun. Honestly, I, I enjoyed talking with Chris. I haven't had anyone to talk with about like the physics of time and just really like strange nerdy stuff on that end. Like you and I talk about some really nerdy stuff, but not that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's different nerdy stuff. Yeah. So it was it was really cool and I I really enjoyed it. With that, uh, let's go ahead and get on into book club. The 11th quality of a team player is mission conscious. A quote from the book, the big picture is coming in loud and clear. Maxwell starts out this chapter telling the story of Mary Hayes or Molly Pitcher, as she's known, uh, in the Battle of Monmouth during the Revolutionary War. She had accompanied her husband, a heavy artillery man, to help care for soldiers, bring them water during battle, that sort of stuff. But as the battle wore on, she watched her husband die and seeing no one to take his place, she stepped up and continued his work on the cannon, ultimately helping the Americans win that battle. Maxwell then gives four qualities to look for in a team member who is mission conscious. First, they know where the team is going. Next, they allow leadership to lead the team. They don't try to take it over. Then they place the team's accomplishments above their own individual accomplishments. And finally, they do what it takes to win or achieve the mission. And he closes the chapter with three ways to improve your mission consciousness. Make sure the team is focused on the mission. Find ways to remind the team of the mission and do your best as a team member. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Well, normally we would say who's talking to us, but right now the whole comment and water bottle thing is on hold. We're still trying to get our supplies uh, sorted back out. And the other thing is, is we've kind of got to get some better ways of getting comments in. But if you email us at neckbeards at complete developer podcast.com, that's probably the best way to get a hold of us or you know jump in on the slack at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com and you know send us a comment because once this stuff is over and the world is kind of normal-ish as normal as it's going to get uh again we'll be back to doing that and yeah your advertisement could be here 
If you like the show and would like to advertise on here, send us an email to adverts at completedeveloperpodcast.com. We have short-term, long-term, and other sponsorship opportunities, such as paying for water bottles or whatever it is we send out. Reach out to us and let us help you reach the people who you are serving. An archetype is a recurring symbol or motif in literature, art, or mythology. It is a very typical example of a certain person or thing. It can be called a universal symbol. Personality archetypes are based on Carl Jung's work in psychological archetypes. Within the development community, we have a lot of unique and interesting personalities. Combining the similar traits, we can derive certain recurring personality types or archetypes that make up the unique people in the field. And these types are the basic archetypes of developers. To the outside world, these archetypes might seem quirky and strange. In fact, they probably will. (laughs) Some personality types are strange even within the development community. Looking at you, Pearl developers. (laughs) While researching the different archetypes of developers, we broke them down into three groupings, coding styles, knowledge expression, and general personality. I like to give Pearl developers a hard time. I've noticed. They respond with a regex. (laughs) In this third and final episode talking about the types of programmers you'll meet in your career, we focus on the various expressions of knowledge you'll encounter. Uh, If you haven't done so, go back and listen to our episodes on coding and interpersonal styles. In this episode, we'll discuss each of these knowledge base archetypes. We'll talk about their strengths and weaknesses, then we'll finish up each one with how to best work with this archetype if you find yourself on a team with them. Yeah. So we have seven archetypes we're going to go through in this episode. The first one is the dreamer. (laughs) Yeah. The dreamer believes that they're a programmer because they desire to be one and have done surface level work on learning how to code. Yeah. Will and I know several people like this. Sometimes you might call them the perpetual student where they're just like, I actually know someone who was so proud of telling people she was learning to code. She never actually did anything with it. Like this was, when did I start? What? Six years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Six years ago when I started learning, she had already been learning for a while and has still not done anything with it. And she's still talking on Twitter. Like, yeah, yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. The thing is a dreamer. um, If they're not careful, what ends up happening to them is they they do hello world in like 15 different languages and that's as far as they get yeah is you know console output and they end up not focusing and sharpening their skills in one area and so they end up just dreaming all the time and this actually is pretty similar to another phenomenon you'll see in you know people trying to get into business right they call them the entrepreneur yeah cuz they want to be an entrepreneur but they're never really doing any of the work yeah, this is the wanna grammar. Wanna grammar, the wanna be a programmer. <laughs> that seems like that would be uh, somebody selling uh, CBD products on Instagram. But okay, <laughs> I know. Uh, what about uh, wanna coder? Uh, I, that sounds more like wanna burger. Yeah, I'm not sure. We need some <laughs> kind of clever. Uh, what do they call that? Where you like mash two words together into a uh, portmanteau? Portmanteau. Yeah. Yeah. So hey, guys, here's a chance to get on the podcast. Yeah. Send us your your uh, your portmanteau of wannabe and programmer or coder. Yeah. <laughs> Wanna developer? Yeah. 
No, it doesn't sound right either. Yeah. yeah. All right, you guys, you guys figure it out and send it to us. We'll pick the best one, and uh, when we do water bottles again, we'll send it to you. And feel free to send us some obscene ones too that we won't share, but you know we'll still appreciate them greatly. <laughs> okay, I will. Fine. You don't have to endorse this. I will endorse that. <laughs> the thing is about a dreamer is that they tend to overestimate their skill level, and they get really frustrated or quit when they're faced with a difficult or challenging problem to solve. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? Oh, this was probably our first year doing developer launchpad. May have been when we were still under the code newbie umbrella. We had that one guy show up and he had been learning to code for several years. He knew like a bunch of different languages, but you like talking to him, you could tell what he did was he would start learning it. And as soon as he got to the complex, the difficult stuff in the language, he would go learn something new. Yeah, because that wasn't the feedback loop that made him feel good, right? It wasn't the, yeah. I, I accomplished something. It's, I learned the the easy part of the curve. Yeah. Well, he didn't want to put in that effort to get past that hurdle. Yeah. He just wanted, he wanted to be like the, I can code, I can code, I can code. And it was, you know, it worked up until a point. And then he hit the more challenging stuff and wasn't getting the reward for figuring out things that he'd already figured out. Yeah, and I, I think he came to one event and never came back. Maybe two. I don't remember. I will say that that's also a flaw in the way that programming is taught. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's like, here's the really, here's all the, you know, hand-holding help up to a certain point, and then it just drops off a cliff. Yeah. Well, math is that way too a lot. So is language learning. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, well, the, the idea, I know what the idea is. The idea is they're trying to teach you how to think that way, but then they never go, all right, here's how to apply that thinking to something complex. It's all right. Now, right now do the complex thing using the multiple skills you've got. And it's like, well, how do I combine those skills? That was the thing I liked about learning yeah. from you is you had me do all the basic stuff on my own. And then I'd come in and you'd be like, all right, let's work through this really complex problem together. Yeah. Well, I've seen enough people hit the wall on that, right? Like, yeah. And you would be like, here's, here's how you apply these things that you've already learned. Here's, here's how you team up the power Rangers here to get through this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) No, that's, that's pretty dorky. Uh, (laughs) So sorry. So if you get one of these people on your team, uh, there's a few things you can do. Probably the simplest and what you're probably actually going to do is you relegate them to the more simple mundane operations, um, but still make sure they understand they're doing important work, right? Mm-hmm. That's the key is if they feel like what they're doing is important, they will sit and do a lot of mundane stuff. I remember when I first started, I would do stuff that right now I'd be like, uh, can we get someone else to do this? This is like really boring. Yeah. Uh, but at the time that was that was new and challenging and I was getting to code and I was getting to actually write production code, even though it was really mundane stuff for the other developers. And they loved it because they didn't have to do the mundane, the boring things. They could focus on solving the problems. And they had a junior developer who wanted to do that, who was happy doing that stuff. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing is, is this tends to season them after a while, Mm because once that stuff starts getting boring and you start seeing the signs of that, then you can start kind of loading them up with a little bit harder stuff. Yeah. Right. This is a, this is a temporary place that you tend to pass through. 
um, for the most part, or you become a manager. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, realistically, though, you're not likely to see a true dreamer on your team because they're never going to get to the point where they can get a job or will even apply to jobs. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> I'll say that, but I will say if the boss has a nephew, well, there's that. Comes and works for him, it will be that guy. Yeah. So speaking of that guy, uh, the next one is the vainglorious newbie. And holy crap, um, we've all been there. <laughs> uh, at some point, I'm kind of glad mine was a while ago, <laughs> you know, where there's not really the whole permanent internet yeah. thing because disk space was expensive. The common case of this is students that did really well in school and they get into the workforce and they have this sense of self-worth and the right way to do everything. Yeah, they have a kind of an overestimate their knowledge and usefulness as well. Yeah, because they just they they're coming in and I've seen this with people uh, both in the workforce and in our developer launchpad group. We have people come in and they think they're all that. And then you start talking to them and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're really not. Sorry, bro. Well, and that's when you have the discussion about cyclomatic complexity and all that. <laughs> you know, like you, because the first thing you got to do with this, these kind of people is you've got to get them to a place where they can learn. Yeah. Yeah. Now I do. I want to say before we go any deeper into this, that not all new developers are like this. Yeah. I worked with one at my last job and he was very, very humble about what he could do. And the dude reworked our payment processor. Oh, wow. Yeah, like diagrammed it, did all the stuff because like they put him in there supposedly just initially to document it. He's like, I think I can fix this. And he just jumped in there and did it. And it's like, dude, what? (laughs) You know, and so you'll you'll also run into some of them that can back this Mm -hmm. crap up because it's just it's like the way they think and they're already there. They just don't have the syntax. And we'll talk about them next, actually. Yeah. And that's the thing. I I just want to point out that not all new developers and not all developers coming out of school are going to be like this, but there is a large enough subset that they have an archetype, right? These people are proof that a degree in computer science doesn't exactly mean, you know, anything about software development or creating production quality code. Yeah. I'll, I'll say, you know, I've, I've got a comp sci, right. And I would say that probably 90% of my knowledge in software development had nothing to do with the university at the very least 90%, right? Like it's good for some structural things and some uh, bigger concepts, but as far as like how the nuts and bolts of how you get stuff done and get it out to production, that's not a thing in school. Yeah. Going back to school now and uh, learning it's going through the last couple of years. I've been doing the prereqs to to grad school. So I've been doing like the core classes that they think are like, this is the information that you didn't get in undergrad that you'll need for this graduate program. So it's just like a boiled down version of, of comp size stuff. It's not a full degree or anything, but it's just like a boiled down. These are the, these are the core things you'll need in this program. And looking at it, I can kind of extrapolate. All right. From what I know about people coming out of school and this, it's a lot of theory may not be the right word, but it's a lot of understanding how things work 
like the the larger concepts, but not like you said, not the nuts and bolts of here's how you actually do it as much. Well, it's sparring with code. Yeah. Right. Like because you're not going to get a hit in the face that hard. But in the real world, you're going to deal with dates and JavaScript (laughs) (laughs) and 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 just, you know, trying to untangle stuff that you don't completely understand and the docs aren't all there and they don't get that experience. Yeah. Now, the trick here, you know, well, first of all, I will say the vainglorious newbies also tend not to understand or care about things like password security, and they Mm -hmm. don't usually know about design patterns or how to write clean, reusable code in a way that's actually clean and reusable. Yeah. They think they do, but they don't. Right. Like the guy that just picked up a design patterns book is probably the most dangerous developer you're ever going to run into. It's like the guy that first learns how to shoot a rifle. Right. Yeah. Don't want to be in a foxhole with that dude (laughs) because it's really bad place to be. Once they get better and they get seasoned, they're fine. But it's just that initial phase is a little bit rough. So the trick is you pair these people with a intelligent and experienced mentor, preferably one who's patient um, because it's going to take a hot minute and they can help them overcome that inflated ego probably by exposing them to experience, right? Like they don't just like break them. It's okay. Try this hard thing. And after they step on the rake themselves a few times, then they come around. What works best is if, uh, if you pair them with someone who was a vainglorious newbie. Yeah. Which is like another programmer just in general. (laughs) Yeah. Or someone who, um, who is very highly intelligent. You know, because what's going to happen is they're going to be like, they need to have that patience to put them in their place in a polite way. Be like, look, you're not, you're not as great as you think you are. Everyone here, like, is just as good a coder as you or better. Yeah. And I remember uh, early on in my career, I was working with a guy named Joe Audette. And Joe, um, I think he still develops. I think I've met him. You might have. Yeah. We actually ought to get him on the show sometime. We need a pretext for that. But Joe, one of the things that he did at one point, because I kept every time I would overhear a conversation, I'd pop in. It's like, you're a junior dev. You know, he goes, it's okay that you know this stuff. and It's okay to discuss it. But he goes, when you pop in like Kramer off of Seinfeld, it doesn't help your case. Like, that's actually what he said to me. And he was completely right. Because I've I've worked with a developer that's that did that. And I was like, man, that's annoying. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, and I didn't realize I was doing it. Yeah. But uh no, no, that makes perfect sense. And, you know, and he was the sage in that situation, and I was the vainglorious newbie going, Oh, you should do all this other stuff. You should have, you know, I mean, this was like 2003. Like you should have automated builds. You should be running tests. Automated t- like that was not a thing. And yes, it was forward looking and all that, but the infrastructure wasn't there. And they were just trying to keep their head above water. And it was a bad time for me to be suggesting that it was, it was Eric. Well, that's, that's the thing. This particular type pairs well with the sage and we will talk about the sage in just a little bit. But before we get to that, we have one other young developer we want to talk about and we've already kind of mentioned them and that is the young genius. Right. Now this typically autodidactic or self-taught young coder is the most excited to try new, like the next new big thing in tech and programming. They are always looking for like the next big thing to come out. 
and they're super excited and pumped about everything they do. Right. And this one actually tends to come before the vainglorious newbie a lot of times because, you know, they learn all this stuff and then they get into a situation where they feel like the people around them don't get it. And so they start thinking, they start being cocky. Yeah. They're always following the trends. They know way more about programming than they should. Kind of like your Kramer story. You know, it's like, it's cool to know all this stuff, but dude, come on. And they spend a majority of their free time coding. I think like uh, when I was doing the research for this, uh, this outline, one of the articles said they spend like 90% of their time, like outside of work coding on side projects and learning the new, the new thing and stuff like that. That still sounds like now. (laughs) (laughs) Crap. (laughs) Because I'm not young and I'm pretty sure I'm not a genius either. So I'm the. (laughs) Yeah, you're the. That's the the remaining word in that (laughs) that particular. Yeah, but there, I mean, this is, that's a pattern that goes on throughout their life for some of them. But, you know, that's, programming is their passion. And it's something that a lot of times they they have a degree in something else. They've tried something else and they came to this and they're like, oh, my goodness, this is my calling. One of the things I, I read, uh, they didn't find programming. Programming found them. Yeah. Is the kind of thing. It's just like this is just and I understand that because that's how I feel about it. I'm like, I was really into it in high school. I got out of it. And part of me is like, I'm glad I did because I got a lot of experience I never would have gotten otherwise but part of me is like imagine where i'd be if i had like followed my passion yeah probably living in silicon valley and you know driving a tesla right (laughs) that's probably not (laughs) no no it's probably i'm shaking my head y'all can't see that yeah (laughs) (laughs) just gonna throw that out there not so much these these kind of people they will look at the code enough where they don't see the code anymore. Like I remember that line in the matrix, right? Like I don't even see the code and I definitely have that with HTML usually. And I have it with C sharp code and SQL code. I can definitely like, it doesn't look the same as it is on screen um, because I I have spent a lot of time. These people will do it in a very short period of time. So they're two or three years in, not 20 something. Yeah. I remember in high school, especially when we get in trouble and weren't allowed on the computers, we got kicked off the computers a lot in high school for hacking to play video games. Uh, anyway, changing the desktop backgrounds was my favorite. Oh yeah. That was, uh, we changed. Well, I didn't, but one of my friends changed the load screen. Yeah. Where you could mess with the binary. Yeah. Doug is a dork yeah. and he changed it on all the lab computers because he our friend Doug was in the lab after ours, but he didn't know which one he sat at. So he changed it on all of them. Yeah. We we almost we almost got expelled for that one, but like I got I got sent to the principal's office and I wasn't even involved in it. And just because I was always involved in everything, but I wasn't involved yeah. in this one. Usually it was you. Yeah. I yeah. mean it was it was a safe bet to assume it was me. But uh, we get in there and he's like, I don't know why BJ is here. He had nothing to do with it. And like the principal was like, oh, BJ, you're free to go. I was, he's, she was like, I was about to expel you both. But BJ, you're free to go. And then she gave him detention for like two days. She's like, I, yeah. I can't believe, you know, a 16 year old just did that, you know. 
Well, and that was back in the day too. And it was so much easier to do. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is the minds of Moria security yeah. system. <laughs> Speak friend and enter. Okay. You're admin. <laughs> now, most of the time, these newbies have found a passion for coding, but they haven't quite found their niche. So they're trying out a lot of new stuff and they're excited about every new little thing that comes along because they haven't really gotten that that passion, that one thing that they really love. So they may, you know, they may be doing the brand new stuff on the front end and the brand new, you know, API stuff and like playing around with NoSQL and they're they're just trying to find where they really want to go because they love programming. They don't know which aspect is going to be their their calling. Now, while these guys are too and gals are too green really to mentor other developers in the workforce, and they do make great mentors for students and for people coming up, they can make great additions to a young startup. Um, or if you're bringing an existing code base into a more modern framework. Yeah, I'll I'll tell you another place I've also used these people in the past is you get them to learn about the new framework mm-hmm. and make working examples of stuff and then teach the team. Yeah. I've had so that. they're within a narrow window of, mm-hmm. of stuff, right? They are extremely useful because they have the bandwidth Yeah, because they're not supporting old systems. They're not dealing with all the other crap. And so they can be a damage multiplier for your senior devs and still mm-hmm. be very, very useful Yeah, in that situation. And it will season them as well because it'll be like, Oh, I expressed this in this way. And this other person didn't get it, right? Because like when I think of the young genius, I think of like the lone gunman from X-Files, right? Like where they're really smart and they're really cocky, but some of their stuff is kind of like, what? (laughs) Where did that come from? (laughs) Yeah. And it's kind of that personality corridor there. Yeah, I, I get that. Like there's some really good here and there's some really like if treated right. And this is the same with all these. If treated properly. Every one of these, even if they sound terrible, they can grow into someone super yeah. useful on your team. And, and they can be more fulfilled. And it may just be reading that this book about, you know, qualities of a team player. But that's the way I'm looking at things these days is how can how can this grow into a good team player? Um, and so that's like when I was writing this, I was thinking about that. So we've mentioned it. We've talked around it. It's time to talk about the Sage. Right. This is the highly experienced coder. They're probably not up to date on the latest framework because they have crap to keep running. Um, so they're not going to learn Angular 9. They're probably still, they're probably not even doing single page apps, right, at this point. But they have deep knowledge of coding principles, usually a fairly deep knowledge of business processes attached to those things. And they have years of experience that they can share and it doesn't matter what language. Yeah. What's funny is I, until recently, I really didn't think like the business process was, well, it's important for the business people, but like outside of I'm building the business app, I didn't think of that being an important knowledge base to have till I had someone else work, like making some changes and updating some code I wrote a couple of years ago. And he's like, so I just don't understand. He's like, in the database, you have this as like a many-to-many relationship. But in the code, it's like a one-to-many relationship. 
And I was like, oh, yeah, that goes back to one. We probably would have written it differently had we known what we found out towards later on in the project. But it goes back to the business process of, you know, that object, it needs to like stay with when they replace something, it needs to stay with, have the history, but also go over to the new one. And so it's, so in the database, it's many to many, but the code is treating it like one to many because it's, yeah, within, within a certain constraint, it's one to many, but overall it could be on many different ones. And he was like, ah, yeah, I've seen that before. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But my specific business knowledge is not what I'm talking about. It's his history of business knowledge because he's been doing this for longer than you have. And his extensive knowledge of, oh, businesses do things like this and that, he was able to pick up on it really quickly. And he's like, oh, yeah, I've seen that before. I know where you're going with this. I gotcha. You know? And it just like, I had not really considered that a an important piece of knowledge to have outside of that specific realm until I saw him generalize it. And I'm like, Oh wow. Yep. That, that makes sense. Now sages will also typically be a bit slower to get things done. There's, there's a good reason for that. A lot of times it's because they know what they're doing and they're setting things up that they need to go faster later. This was a problem I've, I've run into at, several employers where they're like, oh, you didn't get anything done for the first, you know, three weeks of this project. And then, you know, the next three weeks of a six week project, all of a sudden you're just done. It's because you did the groundwork first and they can't see the groundwork. People that have been at this for a while tend to be like this. And this is something I actually learned from a guy that I worked with at my dad's company. And so we would go out and we would deliver oil, right? And so it's like, you know, you have either boxes or barrels. Um, And I was actually so lightweight that I would get on the, the barrel grabber thing, which is like a little cart that you hooked on. And I didn't have enough mass to tip the barrel over. And so the guy would like, I would get on it and he pulled me by the shoulder and then he'd get on his and pull his. And I noticed, I was like, man, I'm so much faster than you. He goes, yeah, but you can't do that all day. And these guys have learned this at a development level. They, they understand that I can't work myself to death in January and think that June is going to be good. So they just work at a steady, constant pace and they, plan and they do they do things with a understanding of the long-term results but they're not going to rush yeah so think of an old man gardening it is it's it's the the kind of the concept that slow and steady wins the race it is it's very it is slow steady pace but they get the work done and they get the work done typically on time yeah and it's done when it's done it's not done and coming back in six weeks with 500 bugs in it yeah, that's true. An interesting thing about the Sage, too, is they will spend the majority of their time kind of staring at a problem, thinking about all the ways to solve it because they've solved it in multiple ways or they they know multiple ways because of experience. Then they'll start refining those before they ever write a line of code. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you get to a point where you just sit quietly and plot it out and try to get it, get your head around what the actual problem is before you ever start writing code. And this is something that people that manage developers a lot of times don't realize. Um, unfortunately, especially if they haven't done it for a while, it's just something that they miss. These people are really best 
utilized when building or maintaining larger, older code bases, which larger code bases usually are older because that's how you get big as you get old. They also make really good mentors and code reviewers because they're able to think of all the possible ways to solve a problem because they've seen most of them. Mm -hmm. Now, we'll also say sometimes they are dismissive of newer things. And sometimes there's a reason for that. It's because they've seen 500 iterations of the newer thing already. Yeah, I have found working with some sages or pseudo sages that, uh, you know, people who don't have all the characteristics of a sage, but some of them that they will just be like, oh, well, this is that new thing or you're a junior or, you know, I'm not going to listen to what you have to say. And I'm like, yeah, but I've got more experience in this particular thing than you. Now, a good sage, a healthy sage will go, hey, and I've heard you say this before where you're like, you got, you know, a lot more experience in, you know, Angular than I do. So what would you do in this situation to a junior developer? Yep. I do that all the time. And my strategy is, is why would I not save my energy for a place where it's going to be more effective? Now, the the nice thing about these is they will think of, if you understand that they're not trying to tell you your code is bad, or if they, they say it right, because I have some, I've worked with some who were terrible at this and they weren't, once I got to know them, I figured out, oh, they're not trying to say my code is bad. They're just going, oh. They just can't communicate. Yeah, they, it's their <laughs> their issue with communication. But it was just like, oh, well, there's like these. And it's another thing where they're like, they're, they almost have analysis paralysis if they're not careful. Because I have been on a call with some who are just like, we could do it this way, or we could do it this way, or we could do it this way, or we could do it this way. And like literally the development director had to be like, all right, you know way more about this system than I will ever know. And that I ever hope to know. <laughs> yeah. I hope to get promoted out of this. <laughs> but I need you to focus on the problem at hand. And we need to know how do we, it was connecting with the older system. How do we connect with this system? What, what are the endpoints? What do we pass in? We need to know this, the specifics on this particular problem, not all these edge cases. He's like, we'll deal with the edge cases when they come up. I, and you know way more about that. And we'll, we'll ask you for your help when that happens. We just need to know in general how we're going to do it. And so like having a good manager who can just rein them in when they get into that analysis paralysis is really, really useful. And I have, I have seen that. And anytime I have to deal with that particular person, I usually ask that particular manager to come to that meeting because he is, he works really well with her. And she is really, really smart, but yeah. she is very much that like, oh, this way and 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 this way. <laughs> yeah, there's just some people that can fly and can't land yeah. a plane. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the best way to put it. So speaking of being able to fly and not land a plane, let's talk about people who can do aeronautical engineering but can't fly. And that would be the theoretician. Yes. This academic expert can spend hours lecturing on the history of computer science or the details of some obscure language like Perl, but knows nothing about practical software development. See, I threw a Perl joke in there for you. That's how close we are. Yeah. You didn't uh you didn't end the regular expression though. So <laughs> yeah. So a theoretician. Perl developers, by the way, are pretty much never theoreticians. I've never <laughs> met one that's like that. Uh, yeah. They're like, 
you know, right there doing the thing. No, no. Yeah, I, I know that. That's why I threw that in there. But a theoretician, if you think of somebody who is doing a best practices document on here's how you do systems, whatever that is, uh, the guys pitching microservices to startups right now, totally in this space, they will write the most elegant, unintelligible code that you will ever see in your life. The problem is it's optimized to the extreme, usually optimized for being changed when you're not going to change it. Like, oh, well, we're doing this in case we have to change out the database. It's like the startup runs out of money in six weeks. If you spend five weeks making it database agnostic, you'll never need the other database because we'll be bankrupt. I, I have a hard time dealing with these people. I'll just go ahead and throw that out there. That is, This is not a personality category that... I handle well. Yeah, I can I can totally see that. I mean, they annoy me too, but I can handle them a lot better than you can. Well, I can handle them. It's just, it might be an HR instance. Like I said, I handle them better than you. Um, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. They get really distracted by micro-optimizations. So stuff that's like, oh, this is, you know, four nanoseconds faster than your code. It's like, yeah, but... You know, like if I, if it takes a developer a week to figure out what you did and it takes them an hour to figure out what I did, how many times does your code have to run to make up for that difference in cost? Uh, the other thing is they, they get uh, really wound up about imperfections in existing tools and they'll, they'll sit and spin on a project uh, trying to basically make a better mousetrap or make a better wheel, essentially. Versus just rolling something. Now, outside of academia, a theoretician actually can be a huge asset to your team. You have to keep them within the bounds of the project. Or or even smaller areas. Yeah. Use them like we were talking about with the young genius. They're, they're If not careful, a young genius will become a theoretician. Yeah, that's absolutely a uh, a growth path that they will get on. Yeah. And so you want to, like with the young genius, you want to catch them and guide them more, like pair them with the sage and guide them that direction, unless you want them to focus on researching new solutions. And that's a good place for a theoretician is, hey, we, we, need, to, we need to update our website that was built in 98. Can you research the, the best options for updating that? <laughs> I recommend a mix of powdered iron oxide and powdered aluminum and a blowtorch. Um, Fifty-fifty <laughs> molar weight, please. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're we we finally got off GeoCities last week. Yeah. It's still around, by the way. Oh, I know, I know. That's why I used yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. The other thing is, is they can also be really good if you want to have somebody that's like a developer evangelist yeah like deeply digs into new tech but doesn't have to make anything practical Mm -hmm. and we know a few of those actually that's a job that had i not gone into the public sector i was really interested in early on in my career i was like this would be really cool because i like public speaking i'm very outgoing i'm i'm an extrovert which is an outgoing extrovert which is really rare for a software developer and so That that is a job I seriously looked into because I thought this would be great. I can create new things. I can teach people stuff like that. That said, the very next archetype that we're going to talk about is the evangelist, and this is not the tech evangelist, 
but the outspoken evangelist will want to change all of your existing tools and processes because they believe the project can be improved by something else. Right. And these people tend to irritate sages a lot. Mm -hmm. Like if you want to see friction between senior members of a team, this guy and the sage, that's a bad, bad combo to get them into an argument. And the reason is, is they always want to do something new, seemingly. Now, I will say that they they know a lot about software development, but a lot of times they don't know a lot about actually day-to-day grinding through and writing code and about maintaining that code, right? This is the person that's like, oh, yeah, you know, let's let's rewrite all of our systems in fourth. Well, that's fine, except you can't get a fourth developer, you know? These are actually like the opposite of the theoretician. Yeah, or, you know, or they're a theoretician for new things almost. I mean, it's like... No, because like the theoretician is, they know all the ins and outs of like the programming language and stuff, whereas the evangelist knows a lot about the software development process. Yeah. And so they're like, oh, hey, let's let's bring in these these new tools. Let's, you know, let's redo the way we're, you know, let's change from subversion to Git. Let's do this. We're, you know. And let's change back in six months. Yeah. Whereas the theoretician is like, they don't know anything about the process around software, like the process around programming, but they can tell you the ins and outs, like the obscure parts of whatever language that they happen to be focused on at the time. So these people will tend to be slow or a lot of them will. Um, In fact, one uh, sub archetype is the slow typer. So they'll hunt and peck at the keyboard and they get like maybe 30 words a minute tops. Probably not even that to be a hundred percent honest. And a lot of that is because they're overthinking about what they're doing versus doing. Oh yeah. Thinking about how to sell the idea versus make the idea. Oh, I've, I've, I've seen that. Of course, you know, you are very much not like this because there have been times where you've done a keyboard shortcut and I'm like, Hey, what'd you do? And you're like, I don't know. I'll try to slow my hands down and you watch what I hit. Cause I don't even remember what I hit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, because your, your mind is do the thing and your hands just make it happen. Right. Which I'm, I'm developing that too with, with stuff like that. But these people, like you said, they will they will be like very slow typers, very like hunt and peck on the keyboard. Right. They're not going to spend hours and hours coding on their own time. You know, they might spend a bunch of time reading articles and stuff about the latest and greatest ways of doing things. Yeah. And they'll spend a lot of money, oh. too, which uh, brings up the next oh, archetype yeah. or sub archetype, the money waster. Now, these are people that will they'll go to every available training they'll advocate for all these new trainings, even if it's stuff that you're never going to use. I went to a SQL Server uh, analytics services training that one of the guys on a previous team that I was on wanted to go to and got it advocated that our entire team was going to this thing. You know how much we actually used it? We never used it. Not once. We used it in that training. I still have the book on my shelf. That's what these people will get you into. Now, every so often, they'll find something that's valuable and saves money. So, like, they're not necessarily bad. It's they're inefficient a lot of times. I had a lead developer who thought I was like this. And so it was trying to get me to, like, trying to, like, 
pushed me into like these really weird and uh trainings because she thought oh that's what would interest me and i'm like no i'm i'm interested in useful trainings it's just not the stuff that you you do because she worked with the older systems and i was doing the newer stuff and it was like oh well you know you don't need the intro class because you're already a developer so you need the advanced thing i'm like no, I need the intro class here and stuff like that. Where it's like, if you're if you're not careful working with this this type, you can like if you think someone is this type and you're like trying to help them and like do that and they're not, it can like I guess what I'm getting at is people can misidentify. So be careful when you're trying to figure people out because you can misidentify someone as this type if you just don't understand what they are they're trying to do yeah and i've worked with a few of these both in ineffective and effective positions uh the ineffective ones they tended to run off the rails and just you know get into all this other tech and then you look and six months after they've been hired they have shipped nothing like it is you know like if you're if you're looking to going okay i want to I want a tech job for six months and then I want to get fired and get a severance check because I'm starting a business. Like this seems like this kind of thought process almost attracts those people. That's, you know, and that's also an ineffective use of them, right? Because you're, you're letting them spin off into some place that they don't really need to be. Now, if you use them effectively, you get them to do some R and D or train your customers. Yeah. Now that's, that's a good use for them. The evangelist is really a project manager at heart, but they haven't quite figured out that they are or they haven't been able to make that move. I was telling you earlier about a former coworker of mine who left and like she was a junior developer, fair to Midlands developer, not a great developer, but not bad. But that just wasn't her interest. She didn't care about the software development. I invited her to uh, to some of the the events and stuff, learning stuff. Like I invite everybody at work, and she just wasn't. She's was like, "Hey, I'm not interested in it." She was going to management training and getting a master's in that kind of stuff, and now she's running a department. You know, like a few months ago, she was a junior developer, and now she's running a department because that's that's where she wanted to be. Yeah. Right. And these people, you know, the thing is, is if they are put in the right position where they can grow, they'll, they'll really get somewhere. But if they're not, yeah. they're toast. They're like a feeder goldfish. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you put them in a big pond, they grow big. You yeah. put them in a small tank, not so much. And, and you just have to find that role for them. If you have someone like this on your team, put them into a, that, or another thing you can do is give them their own side project to manage as they see fit like a small, you know, non-essential project that they can build out however they want. Because what's going to happen is they're going to change things and they're going to do it to themselves and they'll realize the pain of it and go, oh, yeah, I need to do the research up front, figure out what we're going to use and stick with it. That'll help. That'll help them grow. Yeah. Right. And actually consider instead of just see, uh, these people also fall prey to a lot of um, consulting types who are like, oh, here's I'm your I'm your agile consultant. Right. Like this was the thing yeah. like seven or eight years ago. That's what these people were getting pulled into. Then it was microservices and DevOps. Right. And and they bring value to the team. It's just you got to you got to figure out how to rein them in. Okay. The last group 
or the last archetype is the group that you really probably don't have to rein in. Uh, you just have to get them moving. <laughs> and that is the average Joe. Um, these are people that they know enough to get by with good enough code in whatever platform they're in to meet the average needs of a team without a whole lot of fuss and ceremony. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're not going to be the best coder on your team. They're not going to be your go-to person when, when you need something done, but they're going to be there. They're going to show up. They're going to do their job and they're going to go home. Right. Like the, and honestly, this ought to be most of your coders. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like the Sage, they're slow and methodical, but if chosen correctly, they have the right skills and perform well, even though it's obvious they aren't doing the best work they could. Uh, And this is something that everyone goes through, too. Like when you've got something else going on, you want to kind of fall into an average Joe coder. Hey, you want to coast. Yeah. I've got a friend that I, I have conference calls with periodically. And that was one of the things he was talking about. He's like, yeah, I could do better than what I'm doing at my job, but that extra effort doesn't get me any more money. It doesn't make my contract last longer. It doesn't really even help the client. So why not coast? I would argue that these people are almost like a, um, they kind of neutralize the other personality types that tend to be a bit more volatile on a team, right? Like if you have two sages that disagree or two evangelists that disagree, even worse, like you talk about friction, but if you've got another 20 people around them that are just like, this is stupid. Like that can, that can really take the edge off of it and you won't lose productivity to the more extreme types. I'm not saying that you should go or be an average Joe, but being kind of that, uh, what was it? Is it, um, yeah, it was um, Scott Hanselman who who called them uh, the dark matter developer, uh, and I don't think he came up with it. I think he was just he was using an existing term to say, "Hey, these aren't bad," and that's the thing. They're not bad, but they're not. They're just there. Yeah, they're not great. They're there. They get a get the job done, and you know, there's going to be times like uh, you know, let's say you get married, you know, or you have a baby at home. Yeah, you're gonna you're not going to be focused on growing your career, on doing all on like doing all this research and stuff. You're gonna be focused on other things, but you're still gonna show up at your job. You know, while you're there, you're going to get it done. And then you're gonna go home and you're gonna do your own thing. And that is perfectly fine. Yeah. In fact, I think it's healthier, honestly. Yeah. The the average Joe tends toward languages and systems that don't change a lot over time as they're not likely to do a lot of learning or training outside of work training. Yeah. And I kind of fell into this at a previous couple jobs ago, um, just because there was a lot of stuff going on and you know, you had all the JavaScript fatigue mm-hmm. going on then. And I'm like, I don't want to spend six months learning this thing just to have them yank it out from under me. Yeah. Right. Cause that's time I could put towards something I care about mm-hmm. and the JavaScript thing wasn't paying off. Right. Like this is a, this is a legitimate posture to end up in. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not, we're not down on this. Like we want to make sure that that's kind of clear. Like on average, everybody's average. No, no, you know, your average nine to fiver or your average Joe can be the most difficult to motivate. Like when you're, you're coming up on a deadline, they're just going to keep their steady pace. They're going to do their job. They're going to fulfill their, their requirements, but they're not going to 
put in overtime. They're not going to work that extra. They're not going to do a death march. And they're near impossible to motivate. The others, the other ones we've talked about throughout this entire series have ways to motivate them to work harder during certain times. Your average Joe doesn't. Like you gotta really search for what's gonna get them to work harder. Yeah. And the thing is, is I'm not even sure that that's overly valuable because most of the time when you want people to work harder, it's like, look, they're here, they're here 40 hours a week. Like if you're not getting the value out of them, that's kind of on you the way, the way you're handling things, the way you're managing things. Yeah. Now, if you're like, if you are two weeks towards the end of a project and you're like, all right, we got to put in, you know, and you know, 50 hours this, the next, this next two weeks and stuff like that, they're still not going to want to like get to the end of the project. They'll just, they'll keep putting in and like, you're not going to shame them into it. You're not going to do this. Now you, you might be able to be like, all right, look for, you know, for all the extra hours you put in, we'll give you comp time or we'll give you extra vacation time that might motivate them to work harder. Yeah. Work an extra 40 hours, get this $10 O'Charlie's gift card. Yeah. That's not going to work. <laughs> I've worked at a few places like that. It's like, really? Yeah, I, I would almost go. I'm not going to tell them that I worked over. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like it, I would rather work for free than be insulted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah, I will say this, though, while, you know, your theoreticians uh, and evangelists are out there exploring new areas and new things, your average Joe is going to be steadily moving forward on the project, building the meat of your application. They may not be going out there solving the difficult problems, but they're going to be building the things. They're going to come in, they're going to work hard every day, and they're just going to keep going. And, you know, a lot of times your sages come out of an average Joe. Your sages is someone who has been an average Joe. They may have started off as a young genius. They got some life stuff going on. You know, they started off as a young genius. They didn't have you know, a girlfriend, they didn't have anything. They end up getting married, having kids. They become an average Joe. They do their nine to fiver. Then the kids leave. They've got, you know, a few decades of experience. And now they're like, they're a sage because they know what they know. They like what they're doing and they're opinionated about it. Um, And that's just a, that is a typical progression there. So throughout this series on personalities in software development, you'll notice a certain term missing. The term rock star has been used a lot in programming to define many different types of personality, usually related to a very talented, possibly arrogant developer. Sometimes it's used in a positive light and others, it's not so good. To avoid muddling the term even more, it was not one of the personalities in this series as a lot of them could fit into that rock star category. While you may find yourself or your coworkers leaning towards one or the other of these types, understand that they are archetypes or extreme versions of a personality type. We made them even more extreme in our discussion to help understand the type. And other than the average Joe, you're not likely to run into anyone who is completely one type or the other. Use these to help understand 
the motivations behind what you do and behind what your coworkers do. That pretty much wraps us up. What do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, I want to say that, uh, you know, we're fountains, not statues, right? Um, you are going to transition between these archetypes throughout your career. Uh, there have been periods of time where I was an average Joe developer. Uh, there have been times when I have been extremely arrogant and been pretty much a vainglorious newbie. There's been times I've been kind of the old sage. Instead of accepting that you're necessarily one thing or another, figure out which one is needed and be that. And this will this will take a little bit more work to do that, but you can usually cultivate personality traits. Now, you probably are not going to want to be a vainglorious newbie, but you might take pieces of that, right? Like the, hey, I know a bunch of stuff about a bunch of stuff, you know, because those people to protect their ego, they will learn a lot of things. And maybe that's the person you need to be. So look at these as not just a way of understanding your coworkers, but as, hey, I can get into this mode and be more useful than I am right now. And sometimes that's just being an average Joe, right? They just need more people. And that's totally fine. You can get other things working in your life during that time. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, Just be willing to treat this as mutable state rather than immutable. And it will help you a lot in your career. That's all I got. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Complete Dev Pod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.